You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome to Tasting Together for your New Year's Eve. I am Andre Pru, and I am joined at a distance by my co-host. Aloha, Maroki Tong. <laughs> I am so jealous of you right now. I, I know we give the shout out to our social media once in a while. You are at 9 Ounces, please. I'm at Andre Wine Review. You have been posting stories and photos from a tropical paradise. I have been posting photos of myself gorging myself on pierogi and wine over the holidays. I think most of the people listening would rather be you instead of me. <laughs> and and you know, it's funny. I, I arrived a little bit earlier before. And uh, I, I have to say, I am... It did not plan that way, but I'm I'm glad I was here the time I am. I, I will say I am quite tan now. I am very fortunate, very, very grateful to be in beautiful Hawaii and eating local food and supporting local cuisine here. I will say, Andre, that you probably are drinking better wine than me because it's not wine is actually not super accessible over here. Okay, well, at least there's that. Um <laughs> You know, I got, you know, I'm going to go like straight to the the stereotypes because I know that the non-stereotype fact is that Hawaii consumes more spam per capita than any other of the United States. Have you had a chance to dig into some spam while you're there? It's a, it is a pretty big thing over here. They're really um one of the things that's really popular here is called like a musubi, which sort of looks like a nigiri sushi and for those of you who um aren't sure what nigiri sushi is, it's when you have the little chunk of rice at the bottom and then you have the slice of fish on top so they do um that but they do a spam musubi so they literally just slap a piece of spam on top of a chunk of rice and eat it as a snack and my family's all into it and it's something that the locals grab at the convenience store on their way home um it is noted that the 7-eleven serves the best musubi I love that. I really do love that. I mean, it's the same thing too. It's kind of funny when you do some traveling and you do all the research and you're expecting certain things to be elevated. Um, when I visited Warsaw a few years ago, I was looking for the best pierogi, as we heard last week on Christmas Eve, a very important part of my family's um, Christmas tradition. And doing a, a ton of research, it turns out the best pierogi that you get in um, Warsaw is... Um, from a chain that they have, the name escapes me right now, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll promise to look it up at a at a later date. But it's just you know the whole concept that you know certain dishes need to be like all done fully artisanal and and fully on a small scale for them to be excellent. When that's not always the case, it's always exciting when you can find those uh, kind of mass produced gems that are consistently good no matter where you grab them. Yeah, exactly, and I I find that. Not that like there is fine dining here in Hawaii, but but truly the most delicious cuisine is the local cuisine and finding, you know, what the local indigenous folks have been eating for hundreds of years. And that's usually what I'm looking for. And a lot of them are hole in the walls or you go to Chinatown, which, you know, the a lot of the folks from Asia settled in Hawaii f far back, like 60, 70 years ago. And those are the restaurants that I'm looking for. Um but we're, we're at New Year's Eve, Andre. And hey, 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 hey. Before we get into the New Year's <laughs> Eve, I need just another, a little bit more about what the locals are eating. Like, I know we're supposed to be focusing on what's great to eat in Toronto, but if anyone's planning a hot holiday, and I know after the cold week that we had last week, a lot of people are going to be thinking about it. 
Uh, best dish, best restaurant that you've visited so far, and then we will get to some food trends for 2023. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> well, one thing I always advise travelers is if they're coming to... So I'm, I'm on o Oahu, which is one of the, I think, most populous tourist destination sites when people come to Hawaii, and a lot of people will stay on Waikiki, and that's right by the beach, and there's all the big resorts and the chain hotels are there. And I always say to, you know, it's like, yeah, the cheesecake factory is there, but why would you come to Hawaii and go to the cheesecake factory? That's, that's just my personal opinion. And you venture away into um, Honolulu proper, which is about usually like a 20, 30 minute bus away. That's when you get to Chinatown. That's when you get to all the restaurants, or if you rent a car, go to North shore, you know, check out the food trucks. I always say, just look for the food, like the hole in the walls. There's po like fresh poke is here, right? Like you get the best poke in like anywhere in the world in Hawaii. So just, just look for a hole in the wall. There's poke trucks every, everywhere. Now, one of the secrets though, is um, to go to Foodland. So their grocery store, they actually have some of the freshest poke out there because they have such great, massive buying power when they go to the tuna auction there is a you know a, um, a big tuna auction that happens at the pier they actually buy some of the best tuna to just you know get your ahi tuna fix so go to the grocery store and if you it, when you talk about best dish um nico's pier 38 so it's at the pier um where the fish auction takes place now it's it's a bit of a journey out but if you make it there you're going to get the best freshest seafood on your plate ever my my partner ordered swordfish steak when he was there and mm. we basically learned that if you consume swordfish out in the east it almost all comes from hawaii that's incredible yeah so you're there like we're getting it at the source where you know like basically you're eating swordfish ever in the east it's it's fished it's frozen and then it's shipped across the country here we're getting it like right off the pier you know, I think that's a perfect way where we can segue into some food trends to watch for 2023. And I think this is going to be something that uh, in particular is going to apply not just to Toronto, the greater Toronto area, but it's definitely a worldwide. I, I, it's hard to call it a trend at this point because I think the whole concept of farm to table has become a part of the fabric of how we eat these days, especially when you're going out to restaurants. Um you know, the whole concept of being aware of where your food comes from, but being aware of the environmental impact, whether that's due to fishing, excessive fishing, or, you know, the environmental impact of trucking ingredients from, you know, California to Ontario, thinking about something like strawberry or almonds. Um, but one thing, we found this great list from Ricardo Cuisine, and I actually uh, cross-referenced a few other lists just to take a look at what people are saying are going to be the big trends for 2023. The big one I see isn't just farm to table, because like I just said in my little preamble there, farm to table is here to stay. That's not a trend. That is how we eat. And that's how we eat when we go out. But a key word in this is transparency in farm to table. I was just wondering if you have any thoughts about that. I I think it's incredibly important I because there are so many, uh, there's so many buzzwords around farm to table around organic everyone's trying to get certified and what people never realize is that you know some certifications are quite easy to get and certifications mean different things around the world 
and some places might have been practicing organic farming for years and just never got a certification, right? Like I, I know if you visit farmers markets or if you travel um, to certain countries, you know, like I know um, some of my Chilean friends say, well, we've been farming organically for decades. We've never needed to put a certification on it. Um, but now people are not thinking we're organic because we just don't have a certificate. So I think that understanding the conversation and understand what goes behind the labels and what the standards are mean a lot um, versus just kind of what happens on the surface level of everything. Because at the end of it, it's all marketing. A hundred percent. There is the, the key point. Um, I think a lot of people will flock to organic produce or organic produced goods uh, and, and feel good. But there's a lot of greenwashing that takes place in the marketing, like you said, understanding what the certification is. So I think two things need to take place. Um, first off, the farmers and the governing bodies need to find a way to make it easier for the consumer to understand what exactly organic means, what that is, what makes that different from, I guess, more traditional farming. And two, consumers need to take some time to read labels and educate themselves so that they understand what it is they're spending the extra money on. Coming up after the break, we're going to dive into a few more of these food trends, although I think we could spend the whole hour doing it, Maroki, if we really wanted to. It's true, but we still have to go back to New Year's Eve and probably talk about what we're enjoying for the evening, uh, amongst other things. So stick around. We'll be right back after this break on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Maroki Tong, coming in from beautiful Hawaii. Uh, and I'm joined... <laughs> I'm cold. I'm cold. I just, I need to get... I'm Andre Peru. I'm your co-host. And I am stuck in the greater Toronto area, freezing myself a lot more than you are. And... Hopefully living vicariously through your trip to Hawaii. I'll bring you back some beautiful Kona 100% estate grown coffee. I promise you. I don't drink coffee. Um, okay, well, I'll bring you some tea. I'll bring you some honey. We, Since we're both winos and we love terroir and what is local, I'll bring you back <laughs> some honey. How about that? I'll hold you but to that. But just before the break, we were talking about food trends to watch out for in 2023. If we're talking about saving some money and also maybe making some healthier choices, well, right, I know it's it's New Year's Eve, so tomorrow is going to be when everyone signs up for their gym memberships. One trend that I saw that I really enjoy is something I've experienced just trying to form a better relationship with food. And I know I, we haven't really talked about it on the show, but you, as well as I do, both have a complicated relationship with food, being people who like to indulge. But uh, one thing I saw is more meatless plates becoming a bigger trend in 2023. I I love that. I, I think I've mentioned on the show before that I was um, essentially almost all vegan for two years. And the I think it's better for our planet. I think there's certainly an environmental impact with consuming less meat. And, you know, I'm not telling everyone to become vegetarian or no, vegan totally. tomorrow, right? I think, I think the thing that People always misconstrue uh, eating a more plant-based diet is like, oh, I must be vegan. I must give up my my meat. And I'm I, I'm not saying that at all. I think especially, you know, and I don't want to go too deep into you know what what constitutes being uh, a healthy human. But I think human beings we're omnivores. Eating meat is a thing. But I think we have been over-consuming the amount of meat in the last decades and a lot of processed meat. So increasing a plant-based diet. 
is better for the earth and it's better for our bodies. I think apart from that, um, I come from Saskatchewan, as I say on virtually every show that we do. I am a big fan of grass-fed beef. I usually have beef from different provinces in my freezer at any given time, uh, whether that's from Prince Edward Island, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. Yeah, I, I, I think the whole concept of food tasting where it comes from can apply to the meat that's being grown. But at the same time, I think in 2023, we're past the point of using vegans as punchlines. And if you actually take a little bit of time to do some research into some really excellent vegan cuisine, you can find some really dynamite recipes that focus on pulses, things like lentils and beans. And these agricultural products are such wonderful vessels for flavor that, you know, it's really exciting. So I, I think it's just something... I'm going to offer as a New Year's resolution to everyone in the car, especially for one of those people who traditionally has made fun of vegans or used vegans as punchlines, that I urge you to Google best vegan recipes and try one in 2023. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised as opposed to what you're picturing in your head. Mm -hmm. And yeah, not, not everything is just, you know, a few pieces of lettuce on a plate. And when you talk about agricultural produce as being an amazing vessel for flavor, one of the things, um, and I think you showed it in the article that you brought up, Audrey, when you're mm -hmm. cross-referencing, Forbes was saying that there's a drop in meat alternatives. And I think it's important to note that um, that specifically means, you know, beyond meat products or the soy-based proteins that, you know, once upon a time were a huge trend for vegetarian and vegans out there, you know, tote like kind of fake meat i guess so to say i know and it's one of the, it's one of the things too where like i i do understand like as we're moving away from meat if there is a like a, and as society moves away from eating as much meat trying to find alternatives that are maybe as delicious without having the environmental impact but the thing that always bothered me about the beyond meat alternative was just how unbelievably unhealthy they were because it's the other thing too is we i talked to it earlier in the segment here is just having a complicated relationship with food when i do switch to in all vegetable diet. It also doesn't mean cooking, not cooking without fats and, and flavors like things like, like olive oils, if you're going vegan or butter, if you're going vegetarian or cheeses, but just being more mindful of the health factor of what's going into your plate. And it's a lot easier to focus on your health when you're doing vegetable conscious food. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. And I, I worked in health food and holistic nutrition for a very short stint in my life. And one of the things I always try and educate people about is that if you have a certain, you know, let's say dietary restriction that you now have to observe like lactose free or, or gluten free, or if you're trying to, let's say now become vegetarian, that doesn't necessarily always mean you're automatically more healthy. Um, I have had someone once come to me saying that they had switched to gluten-free donuts and <laughs> they were wondering why they, they were wondering why their health wasn't improving. Um, in their case, they were specifically looking to drop a few pounds and I had to explain to them gluten-free gluten doesn't, doesn't yeah. mean, doesn't mean you're suddenly eating a vegetable, right? You're still eating a donut. It's just a donut made with a different flour that is not wheat based. You're still consuming carbs. You're still consuming sugar. And that's something. And so when it comes to, you know, switching to plant based diet, when you eat a meat alternative, it doesn't necessarily mean you're eating something that is healthier. In some cases, it's actually better to probably just eat the meat. Fair enough. All right. We only have a couple minutes left in this segment. So I'm going to rapid fire a few trends that I handpicked because I wanted to hear what you think about them. So give me one sentence in response to what I'm about to say. The first one I saw that was really exciting just because I know how great and how much you enjoy being on social media, but the whole concept of social media being a vessel 
for fusion of different cultures cuisine. That was highlighted as a trend in Ricardo cuisine. What do you think of that? I love that we have democratized how we are influenced by media in the land of social media, you know, when it comes to what we do from how we eat, how we dress. And I think it just social media offers such a wide variety of choices that people probably have never had access to before if you're just watching your local news channel and i know some people like like to make fun of the oh the instagrammable food hey we love the look of a delicious big mac on tv because we eat with our eyes and it's fantastic that on social media people have so many people have learned how to take great pictures of their meals so i'm excited to see what's going on with that um the new spicy as it's called in the ricardo article um, they're talking about this whole like influx of these great new hot peppers. I, for one, I'm kind of sick of the super hot pepper trend. Things like Carolina Reaper, Bujaloka, Ghost Pepper. Like these don't sound like things I want to put in my body. I love really, really spicy food. Like I love a chicken tikka masala that will burn my tongue, but it needs to be balanced with flavor. What do you think about like this whole super spicy, crazy spicy trend? Um... I'm not a fan of crazy spicy and it's like mostly it's health reasons and I'm a singer so it does burn you it does hurt you but I think I think we need to kind of move away from this whole like I I I think we need to move away as a culture that says like oh I'm not a fan of spicy food yes I agree with that try and you know and that I'm really happy to see that there's cuisine like Szechuan cuisine out there that is making food that is spicy but chock full of flavor and maybe not necessarily in a murder you spicy way too and (laughs) it gives an entry level point for people who are just beginning to experiment with spice all right the last one i pulled this just for you because i rolled my eyes when i saw the trend but when i read the note in the article i was actually on board with it so i'm gonna gonna bury my thoughts until you give yours the whole concept of boards placed around the idea of the butterboard trend that you and i spoke about with disdain last week i have no qualms with boards i just had qualms with butter boards <laughs> i am so with I... you on that like the, the whole thing is the idea of crafting dishes that are made for sharing and i think as we continue to leave the pandemic and get used to making entertaining a regular part of what we do again Putting a focus on creating cuisine meant to share with people is a really wonderful thing and something to look forward to in 2023. Yes, absolutely. So on that note, if you are getting together with some friends tonight to uh, pop some champagne and ring in that 2023, we're going to talk a little bit about etiquette. I know some people get a little anxious when they're invited over for a dinner party, so we're going to share some of our stories and just what you should expect if you're looking for some guidance on how to be a good house guest or house host for New Year's Eve. Yes, so stay tuned. We'll be back shortly after this break on 640 Toronto. We're tasting together. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru. I am joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong, and it is New Year's Eve. It is New Year's Eve, Andre. Do you have any plans? I don't have any plans. I am sitting at home with my 40-week pregnant wife. It is her due date today, and uh, I guess we're going to wait around and see whether or not we're having the New Year's baby. I guess um, there would be a really good reason to pop some champagne then. 
she's itching for it. Um, I think we're gonna gonna talk a little bit more about it next week. But you should have seen the look on her face when I told her that I was planning on doing Dry January this year. <laughs> she probably looked at you and said, "I I'm not doing no Dry January." So I I actually have a pretty well stocked wine cellar. I've been collecting wine since 2010, as as we've mentioned before, and. Uh, I went down there in the cellar to look for some wines to open up for Christmas with my in-laws for the Vigilia. And um, I just noticed that my wife has a little stockpile where she's taken bottles with um, a silver glass marker and written her name on them to make sure that I don't open them without her. <laughs> so yes, it, it stung a little so bit much. to her. It stung a little bit to her because a lot of them are, are sparkling wines and you can't really open a bottle of sparkling wine and just finish it by yourself. You need at least one or two other people to really plow through it without worrying about getting a little tipsy that's fair that's fair but you know speaking of bringing sparkling wine and sharing it with everyone and you know you just spoke about going to your cellar and trying to find things for your family i know i get a lot of questions around this time when people are always like what do i bring to a party or what's a great value wine for 20 dollars i can bring to a party and do you ever get anxiety andre when you're about to be invited to someone's house like wondering what you should bring or what you know, what's considered good or being too cheap. And I, d I don't know if everyone feels that way. Um, I will fully admit that sometimes my inner snob comes out when someone shows up at my house and brings uh, a bottle of wine that I'm pretty sure was $6 or $7 on sale. <laughs> um, I try not to let my inner, inner snob come out. It's one of these things where a, a few people had confided with me that bringing wine to my house was a point of anxiety for them. And the thing is, I'm at the point where, you know, I'm just grateful if someone cares enough to show up at my house without empty hands. You know, if it is a, if it is a, a bottle of wine that I'm not a fan of, um, I might not serve it. But I mean, that's something I've also learned from bringing bottles of wine to other people's houses because... I'm someone where, because I've got my inner snob, I like to show off. I like to bring that perfect bottle of wine for friends. But something that I've learned in terms of etiquette is just because you bring a bottle of wine to a friend's house at a dinner party or at a party, they aren't really obligated to open it. And that's just something about etiquette that I didn't really clue into because, you know, I'm, I'm someone where I'll, I'll happily ask you what you're serving for dinner so I can try to find that perfect wine. And not everybody is as into wine as you and I are. So that's something that's taken a little bit of deprogramming to do. Yeah, I actually do agree with that. I I've, I remember seeing some um, wine bloggers talk about, oh, if I bring like a nice bottle to someone's house and if they don't open it, what do you do? And a lot of people are like, I just take it home. Or like, I wouldn't leave it for them. At that point, it's a gift, right? That's you, a gift. You've gifted yep. it to someone and, and that's the way it is. And you know what? I should amend my earlier statement when I say someone's showing up to my house with a bottle of cheaper wine per se. I'm not saying, you know, I think what I should say is like whether it feels like there's been a little bit of thought behind the process. There we go. No, I think not I... everyone, not everyone can afford to bring an expensive bottle of wine. And I, I don't, I would never force someone to spend above their means. Um, I think it's usually when someone shows up and I just know maybe they drink nice stuff at home or maybe. Oh, I think it's, I, a, think, I think it's a fair clarification. Dollars. <laughs> I think it's completely a fair clarification. Like if, if you have a foodie friend coming to your house and they know that, you know, let's just say, for example, you've written a Toronto life gift guide. I don't think there's anything inappropriate about checking said Toronto life gift guide before making a decision on what wine to bring to their house. 
You actually, in the show notes that we put together, had a pretty interesting point that you brought together that actually made me made me chuckle a little bit because you were talking about like the faux pas and the friend who's going to show up with kind of a maybe an odd bottle. Uh, and you said that you had someone who brought an open bottle of whiskey to your house once. Yeah, it, it actually wasn't me. It was it was a friend. Okay. And I think there's a difference between, oh, like everyone's coming together to watch a ball game or hang out and they're bringing whatever they have at home and they're just kind of having an open bar um, versus saying, I'm having a dinner party or I'm having a more formal event. And, you know, I think if you just show up with an, like half drunken bottle of whiskey and you <laughs> plunk it on the table and it's like, this is my gift to you. I, I think that would feel mildly inappropriate. And if I, if I dare say, especially if it's someone you don't know super well, I don't think it's considered really safe either. Like yeah, you don't know that. what's in that bottle. Right. So no, like, yeah, I know. I agree with you on that. Whiskey, but... the, the, the reason I thought it was a little bit funny though, was it's just because uh, like you and I are very good friends and, we have a, a, a fairly large circle of friends who like to get together either, either at my house or at other people's houses for dinner. And just because of the nature of wine journalism, often we have open bottles or series of open bottles that have been provided to us to taste for journalistic reasons. So recently I went to a friend's birthday party where I had uh, a half dozen bottles sent to me by a very well-known and high-profile producer in Ontario and basically did an impromptu tasting at the whole dinner party showing up at this party with a with a, a backpack full of open bottles. And it's just, I looked at the notes that you made here and it's just like, it takes a, a very special kind of person to be able to pull off something like that, showing up at another dinner party with six half-drunk bottles of wine and share them with everyone and have it be a celebration. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that really just also goes to show um, context matters, right? People know that you write about wine they know that you taste a lot and that when you're bringing something open you're not just bringing your leftovers you're bringing something that you want to be able to share with everyone and that you know is probably still fresh this is not a two-month-old bottle of wine this is you know freshly opened and i think the reason why if someone brought you know a cheap um kind of thoughtless quote-unquote thoughtless bottle of wine or open a bottle of something to an, an event that i'm hosting is because gift like gift giving is one of my love languages. And so I want to sort of see the thought process behind something that's being gifted. And if it looks like something that you just like grabbed off the wine rack on your way here and you want to spend as little as possible, I feel a little bit hurt. Maybe that maybe, you know, maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's a me thing as someone who's gift giver. And I know what what I'm about to go to someone's house and you know, we can move away from wine. That, you know, because sometimes people be people bring food and I'm always trying to, you know, when I go and buy food, I'm like, do I get a beautiful platter from, you know, a, a boutique store or do I buy something from a grocery store where it's, you know, encased in a plastic container with the price tag still on it? Like what's <laughs> considered appropriate here? Right. And or, you know, I've, it's, it's um, reading I've always- it's it's reading the room. It's definitely reading the room because this is something where when I read what um, what you said, because my love language is service. Uh, what I love to do is to serve the elaborate meals and to prepare and curate like a a five course meal at my house. And it's something that I've had a really hard time, with. I've gotten better in 2022 specifically as we get to post pandemic is when people ask me what they want to bring to the house, you know, my go-to response prior to this year has been nothing, but it's something I've had to deprogram myself from to be like, okay, no, these are, 
people who are grateful to be invited to my house. They want to take part. They want to bring something. So trying to communicate to my guests that I want them to bring something and letting go of some of that control of what goes on my table has been a really challenging thing for me. So Maroki, if you show up at my house with a grocery store meat platter with pepperoni sticks and the little cubed mild cheddar, I would be thrilled for it because those are delicious, even if they're not as fancy as what you might get from Pusateri's. And uh, maybe this is a good time for me to ask you, if someone showed up with flowers so that they're not necessarily interrupting your curated table, would you like, would you, do you like those as gifts or yes. do you find, yeah, you do oh, like 100%. flowers? <laughs> I love flowers, but I've, I've definitely heard an increasing, um, larger number of people are like why would you buy something that just dies in two days on my table like, I, oh i do think there's sort of a, a mixed thing for, I, I think the important thing is whether you're a house host or a house guest being gracious is very important even if things don't go completely your way and this is something where i it's a mea culpa that i've had a hard time with it it's something i'm going to work on in 2023 but if someone showed up at my house with flowers i mean it's a beautiful accent for the table even if it's going to die in a few days i mean there's steps you can take change the water pay attention to them they'll last as long as you can taking care of them yes they will die but they will be very beautiful the moment they show up and you should be gracious and enjoy them and a little known fact about me is that i love my plants and i have made some of my flower arrangements last up to three weeks so care works guys all right here we are getting to the end of our new year's eve show the last show of 2022 we have done some homework with Danny Longo talking about some drinking trends to go with our previous discovery of food trends. So stick around past the break. There is a little bit more before the end of the year on Tasting Together 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. I'm Maroki Tong and I'm with my co-host Andre Pru. And now we're joined by Danny Longo from the Global Newsroom to look at some trends of what Ontario folks have been drinking over the last year. It's that time of year when annual lists are everywhere and the LCBO has released their list revealing what Ontarians were drinking most in 2022. According to the LCBO, Ontarians were looking to discover some Something new, And for some, that meant purchasing more spirits compared to previous years. Tequila sales were up by 28% compared to 2021. Scotches and whiskeys from the U.S., along with emerging regions like Ireland and Japan, jumped by more than 25% over the previous year. As for wines, it looks like Ontarians purchased less but better this year. With customers spending more on premium products than a simple bottle of wine, the most popular choices include champagne, sparkling European wines, California wines, and rosé. And there's been a big demand for Ontario ice wine, bouncing back to pre-pandemic levels in store and online, with over 52% growth. As for the ready-to-drink category, things like pre-mixed cocktails and coolers, customer demand was similar to last year, but seltzers remain the most popular choice, with 39% of the overall RTD sales. As far as beer goes, cutting-edge IPAs led the way. Customers were also a little more mindful of their overall choices, opting for drinks with lower calories, lower sugar and alcohol content, and even alcohol-free drinks sold more year over year. Danny Longo, Global News. You know, I'm still a little bit surprised specifically about the statistic about Canadian ice wine. Because it is one of those things where even as a wine journalist and as someone who entertains a lot, like that's very rarely 
the go-to that uh, that I grab. One thing that surprised me viscerally, and then when I reflected on it, was the tequila statistic. Uh, I went and looked at my liquor cabinet, and I remember when I started drinking when I was 19, so over 20 years ago, um, your choices at the LCBO and your choices at the liquor stores in Saskatchewan were Jose Cuervo and Sauza. And now when you go to the tequila section, there are just so many choices. Maroki, was there any part of that report that was surprising to you? Um, I was a little bit surprised about the ice wine conversation as well, given that a couple of weeks ago, we specifically talked about, you know, that ice wine is given a little bit of a bad rap in Ontario. But the other one that surprised me was um, that IPAs remain the most popular beer. There's there's a part of me as a beer aficionado, or at least in some of the beer communities I hang out with, we we make this joke that, you know, once we're done tasting all these very powerful IPAs and sours and everything like that, we kind of circle back and, and just enjoy beautiful lagers and pilsners again. So um, I, I thought maybe we were moving past the trend of the IPA, but I suppose not. I guess it's just one of those trends that is never going to die. And we are joined by Global News' Danny Longo uh, to comment on what he learned here. How about you, Danny? Were there any surprises for you? Yeah, the same one for me. The ice wine one really stuck out. I mean, 52% is a huge number, but yes, it is. it's bouncing back to pre-pandemic level. So it was like there was this one-year blip. It almost makes me wonder if there was a shortage in the store or something like that. But, you know, it, it, the fact that it's back to pre-pandemic levels means I, I guess people are back to their old drinking habits. And the other one was uh, whiskeys and scotches were up, but they've released uh, specialty scotches from around the world. So maybe that has something to do with uh, the increase in sales. You know that wasn't a stat that surprised me because I am a I am a bourbon hunter when I'm not um, when I'm not drinking wine bourbon is my my beverage of choice and it's gotten really hard to get your hands on specifically from Buffalo Trace so they do things like Blantons they do things like Wellers and you used to be able to get them on the shelves regularly and the LCBO has been forced to move to a model where you have to basically enter a lottery online to get your hands on these bottles. Uh, I've been lucky enough to get the bottles from time to time, but it's just like the demand for these bourbons is, it's definitely palpable if you are a regular bourbon customer at the LCBO. I also remember, and I don't know if they still do it on the regular, but I I think it's around the holiday season each year, the LCBO used to put out this kind of like whole whiskey section. You know, oh, whether it's, they are it's year round now. Whiskeys. Yeah, it is, it okay. is year round now. Like they're, they're called the whiskey shops. Um, yeah, they they are a little bit a little bit out of the way. But I mean, the selection of whiskeys, I think, has gotten a lot better over the past few years at the LCBO. And I think something that has definitely helped boost those sales. Danny, I'm sure you'll remember this story. Maroki, I'm not sure if you remember it, but I guess about five, six years ago when the Crown Royal Northern Harvest Rye got adorned with that great award and... Yes. just flew off the shelf like people were flocking to the LCBO to drop $40, only $40 on this like crazy whiskey. Do you remember that story, Maroki? I do. And that's because my partner, Eric, loves, I don't know if love is the right word, but Crown Royal was always what he quote unquote called his well whiskey <laughs> okay. before the days of us splurging on scotches. And so for our anniversary one year, I remember rummaging through all the LCBO sites trying to find the find the Northern Rye and then like reading reviews about it and finding, you know, getting really nerdy and finding out how the, the new badges is not the same that they <laughs> entered in the competition. And I ended up getting him one with the little purple bag, which he loved very much. 
no, moving on, there's one stat that I actually did appreciate as a wine lover, because it's one thing that does hurt my soul a little bit as the resident snob around here <laughs> is when I'm in the LCBO and I see people in line with their boxes of, of wine. Not saying that all bag and box wines are terrible, but for the most part, the selection at the LCBO is pretty terrible or, or buying just, you know, cheap and cheerful without being mindful of quality. And I do like the fact that I think people are buying less but better um, just because like I'm someone that thinks that wine is food. Like when you're putting a meal together, we've talked a lot about pairings and it's just like if you're willing to spend the extra money on, you know, a really nice cut of beef, for example, why wouldn't you do the same thing for the bottle of wine you're going to put next to it? It's true, though. If you're eating a really beautiful meal or if you're spending money on a fancy meal when you go out, why would you not? spend you know equally the same on the drinks that you are pairing with it and to that point andre you published a toronto life article recently you and um michael pincus another fellow wine writer on you know the very subject of premium wines that really deliver i really appreciate the fact that you mentioned it and not me so it doesn't seem quite as shameless on my part but if you go to torontolife.com you can take a look at um, the, the, my favorite column that I wrote was the the Holiday Wine Guide, 16 of the LCBO's Best Bottles to Give as Gifts. And um, there is one that stands out to me, and it's the 2019 Stag's Leap Wine Cellars Artemis Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, it's currently $84.95. It'll be that price until tomorrow when it goes up to $89.95. Now, I know for a lot of people in the car, that's a lot of money to spend on a bottle of wine. But when we're talking about Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, that is really the the price of admission. Um, unfortunately, the wines from that region can go up to several hundred dollars a bottle. This really does deliver the goods of value in terms of if you want to make sure that you're spending 90 bucks and getting your dollars worth, this is a bottle worth getting out of your way to get. And if $90 isn't on your docket, there's plenty of other options in that article within the 20-ish dollar range. Um, Still many, many phenomenal selections there. And there's also a nice wine on there. But, you know, I know we're on New Year's Eve, so I have a feeling that people are probably reaching for the sparkling once again. Um, during New Year's Eve, festivities are high. What do you think are some things that people probably should be careful about when it comes to opening a bottle of champagne? Yeah, I've been there <laughs> been there many times, especially in my younger years. I remember my parents, you know, they just kind of aim it away from everybody and and let her rip and just like see where the cork lands. But after a few years, I think they learned that they should cover it at least with like, you know, a kitchen towel or something. So it doesn't, you know, take someone's eye out. You know, it's the whole thing about risking to take someone's eye out. I know to this day, my wife will still, every time there's a bottle of sparkling wine in this house, just hand it over to me to deal with. Cause she just doesn't even want to take the risk. I mean, it's a big thing. So if people don't know, when you open a bottle of champagne or traditional method sparkling, the cork can pop off at a speed of 60 miles an hour. Like that's not, that's not a walk. That will absolutely cause a little bit of damage or injury to someone. So when they say point it away from someone, it's not just a joke and you just don't want something to ping off of you. You don't want Serious injury. Actually, wasn't there a situation a few months ago where an athlete popped himself in the eye when he opened a bottle of sparkling too close to himself? I think I remember that vaguely. And I'm not going to lie. If I were ever 
to be in a situation where I'm on a podium and they hand me a bottle of champagne, I am going to be reckless in opening it because it looks like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Those championship <laughs> celebrations, are, there's there's all kinds of fun being had. You know, it is surprising that more people don't get injured when they're popping those things and shaking them all over. I think they usually hand it to them after it's already been opened. Oh, geez. Just to take care of that liability bit. Um, on this note, I want to wish both of you a very happy new year. We're coming to the end of 2022. Uh, lots to look forward to in 2023. And uh, a lot more tasting together. A lot more tasting together and a lot more bubblies. I hope you all have something great to open tonight. And we will see you all in 2023 on Tasting Together every Saturday at 5 p.m. on 640 Toronto. Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs>